We have been going through 1 Corinthians on Sunday night, and we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, this is a lengthy chapter, and we've been working our way through it. Uh, we've seen various issues related to marriage and singleness and sexual fidelity and things such as that. And tonight we're going to look at the last half of the chapter, if you will. Uh, we're going to race through this passage uh, from verses verse 25 down to verse 40, the end of this chapter. So after you find 1 Corinthians 7, stand with me, let's read it, and then we'll walk through it here in just a few moments. Verse 25, Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over, over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart, to keep his own virgin daughter, so he will do well. So then, both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he do, who does not give her in marriage will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I also 
have the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these uh, direct, explicit instructions. And Lord, we thank you that we don't have to wonder about these issues of life, that we can know what your plan is for marriage and the family and singleness. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to follow these instructions, that we would be wise in this age, uh, especially in a a day and time when uh, there's so much um, chaos in regard to relationships and the family. And uh, Lord, there's so much devastation. Lord, we uh, want your best. We want uh, your wisdom for the family. So, Lord, we, we pray you'd help us to follow these instructions and that uh, we might understand them clearly, and, Lord, that we might heed the counsel of your word. So, Lord, again, tonight as we go through it, help us to, uh, to just uh, be submissive to you and uh, that we might uh, learn from your Holy Spirit tonight uh, through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The message tonight is entitled, Reasons for Staying Single. As I'm sure you know, the structure of the American family has been radically altered over the past 40 to 50 years. Many more adults are single today than at any other time in history. In 2014, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reported that 124.6 million Americans, 16 years and older, were single, or 50.2% of the population, compared with 37.4% of the population in 1976. So you can see we've gone in just a few years from 37% single to over 50% single. In 1950, married adults outnumbered single adults two to one. But now it is about half and half. This includes those who have never been married, those who have lost a spouse through death, and those who are divorced. Of those who are single... A whopping 62% have never been married. 24% are divorced, roughly a quarter, and 14% are widows or widowers. Of course, the divorce rates have greatly increased over the past few generations. In 1870, there was one divorce for every 34 marriages. By 1900, it was one for every 12. By 1940, it had grown to one out of every five. And by 1950, it was one out of every three. The divorce rate peaked at about 40% in 1980, and it has stayed fairly close to that ever since. Now, it has been popular for preachers to repeat the erroneous statistic that half of all marriages end in divorce. It's not quite that bad, but as you know, many of them do. 
But one fact that we do need to be aware of is the fact that single adults are the least churched group of any demographic in our nation. And it's interesting. There have been all kinds of ministries focused on marriage and the family, but very few that have focused on the biblical standards for being a Christian as a single adult. Of course, there are singles ministries in some churches. But even when the issue of singleness is addressed in the church, it has tended to be along the lines of helping single adults cope until they can get married. And many singles ministries seem to reflect an underlying assumption that being single is not quite normal and it is certainly not desirable. Well, the issue of singleness is really nothing new. Paul deals with it quite a bit in this chapter. And remember, Paul himself was a single adult at this time. He was almost certainly married at one point, but something happened to his wife. She either died or perhaps she left him when he became a Christian. The Bible doesn't really tell us what happened to her, but we know that Paul was single when he wrote this letter. And in that passage that we read, chapter 7, verses 25 through 40, Paul gives us six reasons why a person might choose to remain single. And that is going to be our subject this evening. But before we see what these six reasons are, there is one principle that we need to keep in mind. Neither state being single or being married, is spiritually superior to the other. You can be a faithful Christian in either situation. But having said that, Paul gives us here six reasons why a person might choose to stay single. And that's what we're going to go through tonight. We'll be walking through these Six reasons. The first one is the pressure of the system. The pressure of the system. Look with me again at verses 25 through 27. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. The principle that he gives here is that same principle of contentment that he gave in the previous section. We saw that last time. Only now he's applying it to marital status. The principle is that it is good for a person to remain as he is. And those in view here are virgins, including both men and women. Now, it is true that he uses 
masculine terminology here in this passage. He says it is good for a man to remain as he is, etc. But this can apply to either men or women. And of course, virgins refers to those who have never been married. In verse 28, he refers to a virgin who is a woman, and so we know it can go either way. This is virgins, uh, men or women, who have never been married. And notice that in verse 25, Paul says that he has no direct command from the Lord on this. So what does he do? Well, he speaks on this subject by his own authority as an apostle. The Greek word for opinion in the New American Standard does not necessarily mean opinion in the way we use that word today. It would be better translated judgment or conviction. In fact, most other English translations have the word judgment here, and I think that's a better translation. So again, this might be a place where the New American Standard misses it a little bit. And again, the wording here does not mean that this is not inspired or that we can just do what we want because, after all, Paul is just giving his opinion here. That's not what is being expressed. No, this is authoritative. This is the Word of God on the subject, although the tone of verse 26 implies that this is not an absolute command. It is simply godly advice. Paul is giving his godly advice here. Look at verse 26 again. I think then this is good in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. That is a long way from saying something like, I absolutely command you to remain single. Paul doesn't do that. No, he's saying, this is good advice under the present circumstances. When Paul says it is good, he's saying, this makes good sense. You know, from a practical perspective, this is wise under the present situation. Now, why would Paul give this kind of advice to the single adults here in Corinth? What was the present distress that he is referring to? He's saying there are some conditions right now that make staying single the smartest thing to do. What is he talking about here? Well, obviously, he's referring to some kind of persecution and to the fact that the persecution of Christians was beginning to escalate in the Roman worlds. And it is as if he anticipates the terrible persecutions of Nero just around the corner, in fact, less than 10 years from the time in which this was written. And so he's understanding that Christians are going to see more and more severe persecution. And so in light of that, this might be wise for them to remain 
single, but already the Christians were experiencing some persecution. And in fact, we read from church history that the treasurer of this city, the city of Corinth, became one of the very first martyrs of the Christian era. So what's the point here? It is the fact that persecution is hard enough for someone who is single, but it is much worse for those who are married and have families. I mean, it's one thing for you to suffer yourself, but it's another thing to watch your wife or your husband and children suffer. There is no doubt that Paul's own suffering would have been much worse if he had been married and had children. And listen, if we knew that this kind of persecution was coming to America, and it could be perhaps not that far away, we might give the same advice Paul gave. We might want to encourage single adults to remain single in light of those circumstances. Now, of course, Paul has already made it clear those who are already married don't seek to be released from that marriage. And as we have seen, biblically, marriage is a lifelong commitment that can only be broken by death, by adultery, or by the divorce of an unbelieving spouse. And we walked through that. Other problems, no matter how difficult they may seem, are never grounds for divorce, biblically. So Paul says the pressures of the world system might be a reason for remaining single. Persecution. The pressures of this world. But he goes on to another reason which can be defined as the problems of the flesh. Look at verse 28. But if you should marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin should marry, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. Again, Paul restates that neither state is wrong. And that he simply is giving godly advice for their own good. Now, this verse has been understood by some. When he says, such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you, that does not mean that Paul had a low view of marriage, okay? He's not saying, I'm trying to spare you from the miseries of marriage. That's not what Paul's saying. Now, what he's saying he's trying to spare them from is the added suffering that can come for those who are persecuted when they're married. And we know from passages like Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, that Paul had a high view of marriage, not a low view of marriage. Paul is not saying that marriage is bad here. He's saying that under their present circumstances with severe persecution at the doorstep, he's trying to spare them from some added suffering. However, having said that, and believing that this is Paul's primary meaning, there also may be a little bit of premarital 
counseling here. He starts off by saying that if a single person chooses to get married, they haven't sinned. Getting married is a good and godly thing to do. And there are some inherent problems that are part of being single, but there are also some inherent inherent problems that come with being married. And Paul wants the singles to know about these inherent problems of marriage. And the reason for that, I think, perhaps, is, he's speaking pastorally here, is, you know, there are some singles who want to get married because they have an idealistic idea of what marriage is going to be like. And they may even think that it's just going to be heavenly bliss from the moment they say, I do. And so Paul may be pointing out here that marriage is not always peaches and cream. Even a marriage between two believers won't always be that way. Why is that? Because believers are still sinful and are subject to the weaknesses of the flesh. Listen, it's hard enough for a sinner to live with himself, let alone to live with another sinner, right? And when two people are bound together in marriage, the problems of human nature are multiplied. Close living allows us to see our partner's faults more clearly and vice versa. And you know this. Those of you who are married, you know about this. So Paul's not saying marriage is bad, but he's saying just be aware of what's involved. Go into it with your eyes wide open, and I think he probably would say, and get some good premarital counseling as well. And the truth of the matter is marriage can involve conflicts, hardships, demands, and sacrifices that being single does not. Don't, under, don't misunderstand, marriage is ordained of God, it is holy and fulfilling, but it does not solve all problems. Sometimes it even brings more. And the added blessings come with added challenges. Now this is one reason why I as a pastor always warn against anyone getting married just because they're lonely. That is never a good reason to get married. And I've seen that turn into tragedy many, many times. Somebody's just lonely and they want to get married, and so they just jump at the first opportunity. And it turns out many times in disaster. In a similar way, we need to be careful about thinking that marriage will solve all our problems of self-control in the sexual area. Even though marriage is God's means for normal sexual fulfillment, it does not end all temptation in this realm, and self-control is still needed in marriage. And of course, we know that single adults can also have challenges in these same areas. But Paul's point here, I believe, is that they can become many times multiplied in marriage, especially during times of persecution and hardship. But there's a third reason 
that Paul points to, and that is the passing of the world, the passing of the world. Look at verses 29 to 31. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is what? Passing away. Passing away. Notice that last phrase. That's the key to this entire section here. The form of this world is passing away. The word for form there is schema. It means fashion, manner of life, way of doing things, or mode of existence. What's he saying here? He's saying the mode of the world is impermanence. It is passing away. Now, what I'm about to say next may sadden some of you, and it may cause others to rejoice, but here it is. Marriage is part of that which is passing away. Matthew 22.30 tells us that marriage is not part of what God has planned for us in heaven. Marriage is designed for this world, not the next. And it is important for us to keep that in mind when we choose one or the other, either singleness or marriage. Why? Because, as Paul says, we have a short amount of time to serve the Lord in this life. We've got to make the most of it. So Paul is teaching that Marriage should never reduce a Christian's obligation and devotion to the Lord and His work. The responsibilities of marriage are never an excuse for slacking in our service to the Lord. Young people, listen. If you choose to get married, don't make that choice because you've fallen in love. Oh, pastor... You know, I have just found that one, and I've just fallen in love. That's called infatuation, and it quickly passes. No, do it because you sincerely believe that you will be more effective for Christ as a married person than you would be as a single person. That is the main reason for choosing marriage. Not only, if you choose marriage, must you make sure that you marry a Christian. The Bible clearly says that. You must not marry an unbeliever. But you need to make sure that you marry someone who loves Christ as much as you do. Someone who is going to serve Christ faithfully alongside you for the rest of your life life. And that's my godly advice. But here's the point. The primary affection for all Christians, whether married or single, should be 
set on those things that are above and not the things that are on the earth. Colossians 3, 2. Our highest priority must be to live for that which is eternal. Now, in addition to marriage, Paul lists some other areas there in which priorities must be kept right. He talks about sorrow and joy. He talks about finances. He talks about possessions. He deals with the subject of pleasure there. And as you can can imagine, we could spend a lot of time on each of those, but I'm not going to take the time tonight to develop that. The main point is that we need to make sure we don't allow any preoccupation with temporal things to keep us from that which is eternal. And that includes marriage. That leads us to number four, the preoccupations of marriage. Look with me at verses 32 to 35. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he might please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is seemly and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. You see what the bottom line goal is? Undistracted devotion to the Lord, whether you're single or whether you're married. But Paul's point here is that there are some things that married people must devote their time and attention to that singles are free from. Namely, if you're married, you've got to pay attention to your spouse. You've got to devote yourself to the other person in the marriage. And that is right, and that is good, and that is what ought to be done. But Paul says that single adults have the potential to be totally devoted to God, while a married person has the additional responsibility of meeting the needs of his spouse and perhaps children if they are present as well. But more responsibilities to care for your family. Then fifthly, he mentions the promises of fathers. Look at verse 36. This is interesting. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she should be of full age, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes, he does not sin. Let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart, to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then, both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. Now, what is this all about? Well, we have to understand the context here. 
in Jewish culture, parents, and particularly fathers, had long had a dominant role in deciding whom their children would marry, in particular their daughters. And because of Paul's teaching and advising this way, some fathers in that day had made vows that their daughters would remain single. But when the daughters got to the age of marriage, many of them wanted to get married. So what should these fathers do? And again, the emphasis is on the option that believers have in regard to marriage. If the intended partner is a Christian, marriage is always permissible. A father who had vowed that his daughter would remain single in order to serve the Lord more devotedly was free to change his mind and allow her to get married instead. And so Paul says, if you change your mind, you don't sin. You can let her get married. However, he also might go the other way. Look again at verse 37. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. In this case, he should stick with his convictions. And his daughter should honor his decision and remain single, Paul says. She should honor the vow that her father has taken. Look at verse 38. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. You say, now, why does Paul say that it's even better if she remains single? For the very same reason why he said earlier that it is better for any of these Christians in Corinth to remain single because of their present circumstances of persecution. That's why Paul says it's even better if she stays single. But again, the choice is not between right and wrong here. It is between good and better. In their present circumstances, it was better for them to remain single. But there's one final point that Paul makes in this passage, and that is the permanency of marriage. The permanency of marriage. Look at verses 39 and 40. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. In essence, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, choose wisely because this decision is permanent. <clears throat> Marriage is a lifelong commitment. A woman is bound as long as her husband lives, and vice versa. It is till death do us part, right? And again, a woman, for example, can choose to get married, but 
if she does, it has to be in the Lord. She has to marry a Christian. Paul says, only in the Lord. She can marry whoever she wants, but she must marry a Christian. And by the way, notice he says here, she can marry whomever she wishes. And I, you know, of course, could chase this rabbit for a long time. But there is no hint in in this passage or anywhere in Scripture that God has one specific person chosen for you and that your job is to scour the face of the earth and to find that one person that God has specifically chosen for you. There's absolutely no hint of that in Scripture. The Bible says you can marry whomever you choose, as long as they're a Christian. And I would add, make sure they're a committed Christian. Make sure they're not just a nominal Christian. Make sure they're really living for Christ. But the concept of the one, you know, ideal person that God has chosen for you, that is not... A biblical concept. You can marry any Christian you choose to marry. But you better be careful who it is. Why? Because the commitment is permanent. It is a lifelong commitment. So you'd better make sure the person you choose is someone you can live with intimately for the rest of your life. This decision is one that you should take very seriously. Well, these are relevant issues because they're issues that all of us face at one time or another. They're issues that can make a huge difference in our lives in regard to our effectiveness for Christ. So we ask, Lord, give us your wisdom to make these kinds of decisions in the best possible way way. Some of you doubted I could get through that entire passage, but I did it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you've given us your instruction, that you've given us your word, and it's not just generalities, but specifics. And Lord, we thank you that it is your wisdom, and Lord, we rely on it for our daily decisions. These are very important decisions in regard to marriage and singleness. And many people fret over these kind of things. But, Lord, we thank you that we have your instruction. So help us to follow it. Help us to line up with it and to do your will as you've revealed it to us. So, Lord, help us to live for you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.